Hey everybody, it's Thursday, March 23rd. It's in the evening here. Um, you know, for all the dry weather out in Kansas and, you know, parts of Nebraska and even western Iowa, we we got another pretty doggone good rain today. We are wet, we are cold, we are chilly. Um, and I, I know you're going to say, well, it's just the 23rd of March, but... You know, we're we're getting to a situation where you're like, we're going to have a lot to do in a short time to do it in, and it, this is not setting itself up to be a conductive early spring in any stretch of the imagination, at least in my neighborhood, which is the center, the, the center of the center of the Midwest. I am literally in central Illinois. I mean, my... My county that I live in has the geographic center of the state of Illinois. So, you know, there's a lot of people that like to say they're from central Illinois. Well, yeah, a lot of you people are east, west, north, or south of me. Um, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just, it, it's the center of the center here. So, deglobalization. And, and what really is deglobalization? What 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 do I mean, and what does that do to American agriculture? Um, I, I think a lot of you maybe heard the world, you know, a, um, a unipolar world or a bipolar world or a multipolar world. And basically, when the Berlin Wall went down, the Soviet Union kind of collapsed. World communism took a back seat. Uh, China was opening up. Uh, you had. Pretty much a unipolar world, which means it was the United States, the United States dollar, the Western European countries that were aligned with the United States. The, the United States dollar was the reserve currency. I know when a place like Hong Kong started having trouble with currency valuation, you know, they tied their currency to the dollar. A lot of places did that. A lot of countries started just using the dollar. Okay, so you're, you're going to ask me. What what does this really mean? What what does that you know take for and everything else? Well, um, and and I'm going to kind of go through this, and it may be in a way a little convoluted. It may not be right. It 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 may may not you know kind of. Well, I'll just try to keep it as as oriented correctly as I can. Um. You have Russia, China, Ukraine, and the United States, and somewhat a world war going on, but it's a world war by proxy. Now, before World War One, the, the the precursor of that was really uh, the, they had two minor Balkan wars where the people in the Balkans, which is that area between the Austro-Hungarian Empire and Turkey, that couldn't get along: Bulgaria, Romania, Serbia, and Greece. And lo and behold, um, that led, of course, to the Serbians killing Archduke Ferdinand, which then, you know, blew up Europe. Um, but let's go back a little bit. And I think you have to go back before you go forward. She comes to power in China in 2012. Now, Putin, he was in power in Russia from 2000 to 2008. But then they changed the Constitution so Putin could come back to power in 2012. Now, a lot of this was happening while the Obama administration was going on. I think a lot of there was a lot of people in the Obama administration that probably thought the United States had done a lot of bad things in the past and done things wrong. And, you know, we needed to kumbaya and, and you know, bring the world together and that. But I think 
While she was coming to power in China and Putin was coming to power for the second time in Russia, both in 2012, she, if you didn't know a whole lot about him, which you'd hope that our intelligence agencies, of course they may be spending all their time trying to keep track of people domestically instead of overseas, um, she had had a rough upbringing during the Cultural Revolution, uh, but I think he actually looks back with fondness on that and maybe thinks everybody should have to struggle and go through that that trial and testing period. And of course, Putin, once a spook, always a spook. And what I mean by that, he was he was in the KGB. And I don't care if you're in the KGB or the CIA or whatever. Once you're a spy, you're always a spy. You've been trained to that. You're in you're in the club. And you're there. Now, um, I think the common goal from both Xi and Putin was dethroning the U.S.-led world order, the unipolar, U.S. dollar-dominated kind of world system that we had at the time. And and I think they're parallel ideologues. I think they both kind of came to power at the same time. Uh, And at the time... Uh, This was happening with Russia. We were having some increases in some commodity prices. Russia wasn't the economic wreck that it was. China had had a lot of what I call free market philosophy people running it. And I think we're finding out that she and the people that she is now putting in power are not free market oriented in any way, shape or form. But... Uh, you know, she could kind of coast on that economic coat trails that had been going on in China since basically the early 1980s. Yeah, I know you can talk about the, the gang of foreign Mao and everybody going in the 70s, but it took a while. Um, it, t- it took till really the early mid-80s before China started going, and then it took a little time for it to ramp up and really go. Now, I think ultimately China wants to at least be an equal power with the U.S., and I think Putin wants to put the Soviet Union back together. You know, maybe um, the 1960s are calling, if you if you wanted to talk about those, those guys. But I also think, too, that uh, here in the West, we've kind of asked for it a little bit in ourselves, and I know I'm going to upset some of my liberal friends when I get into this, but oh well. Um, I think there's a bunch of countries around the world that are not buying in to a lot of the social uh, stuff, I'll just call it social stuff, that's going on in in, in Western countries, in Western Europe and the United States. You know, the strict climate goals. And, and, you know, I could direct you to all kinds of YouTube uh, videos. The Oxford Union had a really good debate on this, but, um, you know... Poor people, if they're living on a dollar a day, if they get another dollar a day, they're probably, you know, that's doubling their 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 standard of living, but they're probably not really caring what goes on uh, in the climate. You know, they're, 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 they probably don't even have an outhouse. And, and one thing that I find interesting, there's still a number of people in the Soviet Union that don't have indoor plumbing. I mean, it's a huge number. And of course, we know that there's still rural areas of China that that are that have not, you know, jumped on the urban bandwagon and go, going. Even though there's these ghost cities in China with these empty cities and you know some investments that have gone bad and everything else, but um, you have this, you know, ESG financial and financing and investments. You know, this environmental, social, and governance score. 
Uh, do you really think a poor person in sub-Sahara Africa really cares about their ESG score? Uh, and now we're throwing inter- higher interest rates out there on the world, and so that's not only uh, you know putting the 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 putting the more expense into a lot of your farmers' pockets. There's a lot of developing and poor countries that have to borrow money, and it's increasing their cost. And, and then you have, um, you know, very liberal social ideas. And and I'm not going to get into all the social ideas, but I. You know, I'm just going to use this as an example. Uganda just passed a law that has a 10-year prison term for anybody that's identifying as LBTQ, the the whole alphabet soup stuff. Uh, Uganda just passed that law. Um, And I I, I think that the, the bigger one that trumps all of this is there's a lot of people that look at a lot of the problems in the world and they think it's all the West's fault. So along you have Russia and China coming and they're like, hey, we're different than these people. It's a different alternative. You're going to do better under our system than theirs. You're going to be you're going to be an ally and a friend of ours. You're not going to just be exploited. These are the old bad colonists, you know, the people that had colonies and everything. Well, okay. We, a lot of you have already heard. Now you've heard me talk about the BRICS, you know, which is Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. But I think now you have to talk about the BRICS in Brazil, Russia, India, Iran, China, South Africa, and Saudi Arabia. And for those of you that haven't been paying attention, China just brokered a peace deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia. That's Sunni and Shiite Muslims kind of trying to get along. Now, a lot of that has to do with the Belt and Road Initiative and the fact that if China wants to do pipelines, roads, and railroads through Central Asia, you know, in a way you got to get far, you know, far enough south from the snow line, as I call it, which means most of those are going to run through Iran. And it doesn't mean it doesn't get cold and doesn't get snow in Iran, but I, I, I don't think you're going to build something like this through northern Siberia. Now, you, you may go up there to tap into you know, natural gas, oil, uh, maybe gold, silver, you know, a lithium mine, whatever. Um, but you're not going to you're not going to make that the super highway across Asia. Well, if you're going to do that, it has to go through Iran, especially now that we've pulled out of Afghanistan. Uh, and there's a little portion of Afghanistan that touches China, which is a valley. Now, it's really high up in the you know, the Himalayans kind of, or next to the Himalayans, but you can get over into China. That's the old Silk Road. That is the literally one of the old Silk Roads. And, and there are several different ways in and out of China on on the ancient Silk Roads. Um, and and one of the ways, too, you know, you, you went over land and then you got on a ship and then you sailed around to China. But, um, you know, it's it's... Places like Turkey, I think, are a potential person to join this club too. And you got all the stands: Kazakhstan, Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Afghanistan, Pakistan. And even though Pakistan and India are enemies, and even though we know that China and India have fought along that border, um, you know, I, I think you're looking there in Southern Asia for 
billion people. And if you bring what I, what I call Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states, you know, the United Arab Emirates, Qatar, all those things in there, they, and they got a lot of money they want to invest somewhere. They didn't want to invest it in a failed Swiss bank, by the way. Well, they already had a big investment in there. They just didn't want to invest anymore. Um, this Belt and Road Initiative maybe gives them the possibility to invest some things a little bit closer to home. But if you notice, all these are autocratic, authoritarian regimes. Not a whole lot of Western democracies here. Oh, they may have elections. I mean, Turkey has elections. I mean, some of them do. I mean, even Iran has elections. But I think we probably already know how those elections are going to turn out when you look at the slated number of people there. Of course, there'd be people in this country that argue that that's not that far away from here. But I digress. Now, you have to remember, too, that the West bombed Libya and ran Gaddafi out and blew Libya up when Gaddafi wanted a regional gold-backed currency. You know, right, you know, there's a whole bunch of uh, former French colonies in French West Africa, basically, let's call it that, that use this franc-backed kind of African currency and Gaddafi, and Gaddafi not only was was wanting to free up his people to have their own independent currency, you know, he did these huge water projects where he moved water from basically the south of Libya, I think it was, to the north to irrigate so they could become independent in their grain production and not have to depend on another country for food. But boy, we sure took care of Gaddafi, didn't we? Um, now, back to China and Russia. China accounts for 18% of Russia's total trade. Now, China did that COVID shutdown, and they, they went overboard on the COVID shutdown. They went, they went even way beyond what we did, and it really didn't end until you had some fires in some apartment buildings that had been welded shut and nobody could get out. You know, and, and the COVID shutdown, I think we're finding out in this country, that just was not good economic policy. I mean, some of the stupidity stuff going on today in our economic problems, I think, can be traced back to COVID. And then I, 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 I will believe this and I will say this. I don't think we know what we have done to our young children, our older kids, and our young adults on this COVID shutdown. I think there was a lot more of them that struggled and worked and had problems getting through this than what will ever be admitted to by anybody because no nobody with any authority wants to have any liability in this thing, including all the pharmaceutical companies that made out like bandits on this deal. And I'm not even getting into the health problems we're having at Post. I'm just talking about the, 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 the I don't know what we did to almost a generation of kids here. And I know you're going to say, well, we only shut it down for this amount of time. But yet it, it was, you know, almost what two and a half years of mask wearing um you know and and you you it's you know there there was there's a lot of kids that were in their formative years and that spreads out over 10 or 20 years in that deal or longer um china's got some real estate economic problems i talked about the ghost cities overvalued real estate bad loans you got some rich Chinese that are getting out of the country. I think they know more about Xi than probably we do. And, um, you know, the pro-free market Chinese government policymakers continue to look like to me to be exited out of the Xi Communist Party, the Xi-run government in China. 
I think you're starting to get a cult of personality with Xi, much like the cult of personality they had with Mao, and that didn't end well. But I think we got to watch for China and Russia to link their currencies together and link them possibly to golden oil like Russia's already done with the ruble. And that may be, too, they may possibly... Um, they may possibly link silver there, which, you know, you then become a commodity-backed currency, which becomes interesting. Because our our currency is backed basically by the might of the U.S. military and then the banking system that we have. But if you notice, we put all these sanctions on Russia thinking we were going to take Russia down, and the sanctions worked for about three weeks. And then Russia figured out ways around it because Russia is rich in resources. Russia has things that other countries wanted to buy, and places like China and India bought it because they got a discount on it. I mean, talk about economics 101 working. Now, this deglobalization could go, in my mind, several ways. The one that worries me the most is it goes the way of 1984. And if you haven't read the book 1984, go read the book 1984. But the one thing about it, they had continuous wars. And they had like Pacifica fighting Europa, which was fighting Asia. I mean, there was like four big major trading blocks, and they were always fighting each other. Well, if you see four billion people pull away, and it looks like the United States trading block is going to be probably Western Europe, except Western Europe's kind of caught in the middle there, probably definitely Great Britain. Uh, Canada, the United States, Japan, South Korea, probably Taiwan and the Philippines, probably mainly South Korea, Taiwan and the Philippines just because they want to keep China at bay. And then the big question is, does Mexico go with us like they have with the North America Free Trade Agreement or does Mexico break loose with Brazil and go with China? Because if Mexico breaks loose, we lose all the cheap labor to make all the cheap stuff that a civilization needs because we don't have that cheap a labor in the United States. And that means everything costs more. That means more inflation. I, you know, I, and I think we got to be careful what goes on here militarily uh, because, you know, World War One and say what you want about World War Two. In my mind, World War Two was just a twenty-year hiatus between World War One and World War Two. World War Two was just finishing World War One. Now, there's a book called Stalin's War, and if you haven't read it or listened to it on audiobook, I would go listen to Stalin's War because I think Stalin really wanted World War Two because he needed the chaos to make communist world communism. And it, and it makes me a little worried about some of these people that are pushing this war so hard here because they want chaos because it's the same result that Stalin got after the end of World War II. Um, and and the, the, the worst thing in my mind that World, World War I gave us was world communism. Absolutely, positively the worst thing they gave us. And, and in the spring of 1914, no one or very, very few people seen what was the disaster that was coming at the world. And I think a part of what went on, um, why why Russia moved into Ukraine when they moved in, the first part was they seen our convoluted, complete disaster, complete chaos, 
uh, abandoning of Afghanistan, the abandonment of Afghanistan. I think there'll be all kinds of books and everything else written about the abandonment of Afghanistan. I think it, it think it's a sad, sad thing going on. And I think Putin seen this administration, he looked at, oh, they're very weak. They're very indecisive. They don't want to fight. They're not going to do anything. You know, I think I can push these people. And then I also think Russia, the second point is they had a lot of outdated equipment. They had a lot of aging population. Um, the world economics as such it was. So uh, between those things, it just kind of told Russia, if you're going to move, you got to move now. And so they moved in February of 22. You know, there's, there's a lot, a lot of Cold War trucks and military vehicles and everything else. And those were they was those were getting near or had already went past their lifetime, and throw that with our disastrous performance in Afghanistan, and I think that convinced Putin to make the move. And I think China was watching real close to see how we reacted there, as if they were going to make the move then then on Taiwan. Well, Ukraine wasn't Afghanistan, and of course you had the Europeans get nervous, and you know now we've dumped. Of course, I think part of it, too, um, the World Economic Forum probably wasn't involved in Afghanistan, but the World Economic Forum was involved in Ukraine. And and go back and look at some of the documentaries about the color revolution that happened in, like, 2014 in Ukraine, and you just kind of wonder, um, and I wonder about a lot of things, you know, and and don't take this wrong, anybody that's ever been in the CIA and who knows if they're listening in right now or not? Probably not, but you never know. Um, once a spook, always a spook. Once a spy, always a spy. Um, you, I think we all know that the Chinese communists are going to do whatever they have to to stay in power. And you watch Xi take that old guy out at that communist party that get together here just recently. Um, that was that was a cold hearted. I'm the king honcho move here. Um, you know, and I think you got people here in the United States. I think you got the Uniparty, um, you know, the Uniparty establishment along with the George Soros types that are going to do whatever it takes to stay in power. Um, and, and you know, one guy told me he said, "Well, maybe they're trying to get a world war before we get a U.S. civil war." And I, I and I'm not calling for that. I'm not saying anything about that. That was just a comment that was made to me, and. Uh, but I do believe time is short what's going on here. And I hope cooler heads prevail, but not not only worldwide, but in this country. Uh, you know, somebody somewhere has got to get their act together and decide that, you know, it's not crazy time. You know, you know, and, and the United States establishment's got problems. They got the Trump voters. They got people... That are not loyal to anybody else but Trump. They, they, I think you've seen in the midterms, they didn't come out and vote for other Republicans. They're only going to come out and vote for Trump. That's it. And they are not going to be very, very friendly to the establishment in any way, shape, or form. You got Musk in the Twitter files. You know, and I, I read a read an article where basically the establishment's got a problem with Musk. You know, the Musk problem. Um, well, the Twitter, the Twitter establishment and banning the accounts and working with the FBI and who knows who else they were working with and everything else. And, you know, I got to give Musk credit. I think Musk is a brilliant man. 
the two journalists that he had look into the Twitter files, neither one of them are Republicans. They're both Democrats. The one guy used to work for Rolling Stone. So Musk didn't get right-wing ideologues. He got, he got quote-unquote, mainstream liberal establishment journalists. And they, were, I think, were appalled at what they found in the Twitter files. They they now got a lot of Republicans and they got an investigation. And I think even the Democrats thought that McCarthy was going to win bigger than what he did. And he wouldn't have that, what I call, right-wing, small minority in a very small majority problem. And now you have lots of Republicans with lots of investigations going on. And even McCarthy himself has made some statements about, you know, being appalled at some of the stuff he's seen and everything going on. And that's a, that's, that's a wild thing. Now, the, the banking problems that we got, and, we're, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk more in another podcast at some point. I don't think the banking problems in any way, shape, or form are done and over with. Um, but, you know, the, these things never do play out all at once. Um, but you also have, you know, the old Bill Clinton never let a good crisis go to waste. And who knows about a digital currency or whatever. And that'll get that'll get a that'll get a group of people upset big time in the United States. Um, social media. It's not what it once was. You know, I, Facebook's having to cut a lot of people, having to do a lot of things. You got, you know, a lot of people wanting to, to wipe out TikTok out of the you know, United States and the West because it's run by the Chinese. You got Musk now with Twitter. The liberals don't have total control over censorship of social media. And they still got CNN, MSNBC, CBS, ABC, NBC, you know, public, public t- television. But there's so many people now that are getting their information from so many different sources. And I think both left and right are self-sorting themselves. And they're not listening to each other. And that's, that's a problem for the establishment, I think, more than it's a problem for, for either the left or the right. Um, you have people like Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson, Russell Brand that are outside the mainstream conservatives but yet are now looking into talking about some of the same thing that a lot of mainstream conservatives. I mean, you know, Joe Rogan, you know, how'd you know Joe Rogan was going to make um, Alex Jones right? I mean, and Joe Rogan had those doctors on the COVID stuff, and it was after he had those doctors on, the, the two guys, and then he, what was it, the CNN doctor or something, he really, really made look bad. Um Things started to change. And you got Russell Brand, which is no conservative by any stretch of the imagination, but he's got like 6 million people that watch him all the time. And you can say, well, 6 million is not that many, but, uh, you know, how many other people repeat or take or he goes on to other shows or you have other people now on YouTube and, and other things, you have other people that are cutting up pieces of other people's videos and then rebranding it and commenting on it themselves. Um, all outside the mainstream media. And I can tell you, if you're not watching Joe Rogan, if you're not listening to Jordan Peterson, and, and dare I say, if you're not paying attention to Russell Brand, you're probably missing out on some stuff left and right. Because they're they're not left and they're not right. 
they they are where they're at and what they want to talk about and what they want to do. Uh, the establishment's got the COVID conspiracies out there, and the problem is you, you just continue to have just you know things just what some people said ended up being the truth. And they kind of wanted to suppress the truth and hide from the truth. And a lot of times you just got to come out there with the truth or you're just going to continue to get more rumors and stuff going on. Um, you know, the FBI, the CIA, the NIH, the ATF, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You know, I have, I have actually heard Republican politicians talking about we need to get rid of all the three-letter alphabet soup agencies. And of course, this Inflation Reduction Act, the IRA, and believe me, it's not a retirement plan for the United States. It was passed in a lame drunk Congress back in December, has got so much stuff in it. Brand new FBI building, all this stuff. And and I, I really do believe that what doesn't get done in the next two years, because I think the Republicans will take over the Senate, and even if the Democrats get the presidency and, and they're able to veto a, a you know Republican Congress, Republican Senate, uh, I think there's a lot of stuff in that Inflation Reduction Act that down the line is, is going to get changed, going to get modified, going to get done. But for right now, it is. Um, it looks like to me the federal bureaucracy is openly hostile to the First Amendment, which is not a good look, which is not a good thing. And then, you know, the, the establishment's got problems with the January 6th tapes. And the fact that, you know, the rumor is they're going to arrest a whole bunch more people and everything else. And I, I think the establishment runs the risk of getting both the right and left fed up with the criminal system. And that, that's, that's a problem. And we could throw in the Hunter Biden laptop and all the other stuff going on. The establishment's got problems. Um, you know, and, and you got people now making the statements that they're, that the current and former intelligence community, FBI in particular, directly meddled in the last two presidential elections to a degree that should be called into a question its continued existence. And that's not me. That's other people saying that. And you got people saying that now, folks. Now, back to deglobalization and how all this affects you guys as farmers. I know all that stuff I was talking about. All the, the, the United States establishment has got a lot of problems right now. And then you throw on the fact that it looks like to me that she and Putin at least are planning on how they're going to dethrone the dollar. And, and, and I tell you, we're probably closer to Argentina than you think. And, and, and if you're a farmer and you haven't followed how the Argentina farmers have to do things, and the currency problems they have. If four billion, four and a half billion people in this world start not using the US dollar, I mean, they've already started that. I guess I should say fully adopt not using the US dollar. And then our currency just becomes another one of the, the melting pot traded. It's not the reserve currency, it's not the currency that everything else is measured up against. That, ladies and gentlemen, cause you problems farming. Because now you got to worry about currency valuations, devaluations, and inflation of currencies um, on every input that we import in here, fertilizers, 
you know, machinery that is made overseas, everything else. And then, you know, you're not only going to be thinking about what's it selling for on a on the commodity exchange, but what the value of the, you know, dollar is. And before you can say, well, but we trade everything on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, I've seen some some things written in basically foreign journals, I'll call them, that talks about the biggest exchanges in the world, like the biggest ones in India, and then you have like one in China, and then like, I don't know if it's Singapore or somebody like that is kind of rivaling the size of our CME. And I think at times we've even talked about where's the spec money gone out of Chicago? Well, if all of a sudden the commodity trading starts getting done someplace else in the world, one, you don't have the U.S. rule of law on, on the rules. you got another country's rule of laws. And two, uh, you know, how do you hedge it off in a, in a commodity exchange not here? And I'm not saying the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is going to go out of existence tomorrow or, or the New York Stock Exchange or anything else. But if they multipolar the world or bipolar the world and come up with a different reserve currency, that changes the whole thing for agriculture. And more than I can get into, the, the, the I'll, I'd have to do a series of podcasts on that. And I'd probably get some of it wrong. And, and you know, when I say we become Argentina, there's some things that's not going to happen. But, but some, I, I just think that's maybe the best example. And that at one time, like right after World War I, was like one of the richest countries in the world, had one of the best standards of livings in the world, and they totally lost it. And I think we got to be real careful what we're doing right now and what's going on or we can totally lose it. And I also think as a farmer, you know, you you need to be paying attention to this stuff and figuring out, okay, if they do come up with a currency where Russian Russia and Ukrainian wheat and corn and everything else is sold to China and they don't use the dollar and they're going around us there and the oil then gets traded on something other and the fact that possibly Iran and Saudi Arabia and then you know all the other Gulf states start pricing oil in something other than dollars and don't get me wrong the United States is a huge energy producer we 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 are sitting in pretty good shape from the fact that we can for ourselves make a whole lot of everything here except cheap labor. We and 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 I know people can complain about the price of labor and the cost of labor and and you know really really poor people in this country are struggling against you know the the 96 versus the 4, you know, or the 99 versus the 1 or the 98 versus the 2. What whatever number you want to throw out there it doesn't matter to me. Um you know the the fact that um you you could it just changes the game. And I'm not sure that the United States agriculture is uh, prepared to handle the U.S. dollar not being the supreme currency of the world anymore. And I'm not sure our banking system's ready for that either. And I don't think our government's ready for that. And I think it's I think it could possibly happen closer than we think. And I think there's some people trying to actively do that to get around us. And the fact that ever since the Berlin Wall fell down, one of the things that one of the ways, quote unquote, we waged war on a lot of countries was economic sanctions. Because we didn't want to actually go out and fight and get all bloody and everything, but we'll wage war economically against you.
Well, they're just going to go play with a different set of chips. Chips that we don't have. Or chips that we got to buy. Just think about it. Um, and the fact that China got Saudi Arabia and Iran, at least right now, and that doesn't mean it won't blow up tomorrow, because we know, especially with religion, you know, you can have you can you can have a falling out pretty doggone quick. Um, it, it, it it but but if China can get Iran and um, Saudi Arabia and China's. You know, China borders Afghanistan. If they can move in there and somehow kind of get that thing calmed down, and if they can somehow make a deal with India and Pakistan and, you know, the Russia-Ukraine thing, all of a sudden, world's changed, folks. It has probably changed, you know, and, and, and whether we say that the COVID thing started all this changing or whether it was the political establishment in this country that failed us, it doesn't matter doesn't matter how we got here. It's just where we're at and where we're going and what we're going to do in agriculture to offset that. And it's going to be interesting. Well, hey, to the smartest audience in agriculture, here's talking about uh, deglobalization. Um, pay attention to this, what's going on there with, with Saudi Arabia and Iran and China being the broker between all this. Uh, pay attention to when China's trying to come up with a peace agreement between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, pay attention to when, you know, China's working with some of these other countries. You know, this BRICS thing, it's it's taking a little while. But, uh, you know, it wasn't that many years ago the British pound was the premium currency in the world. It's not anymore. And if that happens to the United States dollar, boys and girls, the United States agriculture, especially the agriculture that depends on a lot of exports for their price, you know, a lot, there may be a lot used domestically, but that it's that excess that gets exported that makes the price. It's going to change things and change things in a big way. Well, hey, once again, smartest audience in agriculture. Thanks for listening.